John chapter 11 this morning as we continue our study in the great I am statements of Jesus Christ. We come now this morning to John chapter 11 and we want to consider together that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We'll not be able to read the entire chapter for sake of time this morning. It's quite lengthy, but we will take as our text from verse 18 through verse 27 in John chapter 11, and in just a moment we'll read that text. But John chapter 11 describes one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. And it's an astounding miracle because Jesus raised a man from the dead. This was not the first time in Jesus' ministry that he had raised someone from the dead, but this particular encounter is extremely helpful in understanding the power and the nature of Jesus Christ. For instance, here in John chapter 11, we're told about the deity, the divinity, the divine power of Jesus Christ, because who else but God can call someone forth from the dead and have them come out of the grave, walking, talking, breathing, living. That's something that only God can do. So it's clear in John chapter 11 that Jesus is God. But we also find in John chapter 11 that Jesus is fully man. Because woven all through this story we find the fact that Jesus is impacted by the death of his friend Lazarus in ways that we understand, despite the fact that he is God and he knew exactly what he was going to do and what the end of all this was going to be, the shortest, simplest, and one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible is found right in the middle of John chapter 11 when Jesus came there to the tomb of his friend Lazarus who was buried, and it says very simply, Jesus wept. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was impacted by the death of his friend. Now Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, were followers of Jesus Christ. They were some of his most precious friends. We Read about them in the Gospels and scattered encounters between Jesus and them. We read of their devotion to the Lord Jesus, of their love for him, of the fact that they had such a close friendship and intimacy with one another. And in the beginning of John chapter 11, word came to Jesus, who was some distance away, that Lazarus was sick. The implication of the message was clear. It had come from the sisters of Lazarus, and they knew that Jesus had power to do miracles. Jesus had healed many people and delivered them from diseases. He had healed lepers and healed those who were blind and given them sight. He'd set people free from all sorts of palsies, paralysis, uh, these sorts of things. Nothing was too hard for Jesus. So word was sent to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. The intention was for Jesus to come as soon as possible to help Lazarus because they knew that he was really sick. But the Bible tells us something puzzling. It says that Jesus intentionally waited. He did not go right away. He certainly could have. He could have gone. 
And we know that he had the power to heal Lazarus and to raise him up from off his sickbed. But there was something altogether different that God the Father was up to in this situation. The disciples were puzzled. They didn't understand, why don't we go right away? Jesus put them off, and then they asked for an explanation, and he said that Lazarus was asleep. And the disciples said, oh, that's good. He's sleeping. That's so much better. You know, if he's sick, if he's sleeping, he's going to recover. He's going to get better. And then the Bible says Jesus just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's already gone. The disciples were stunned. Why didn't Jesus go right away? Then he said, now it's time for us to go. Jesus, why now? Why, did you, why do you want to go now, but you didn't want to go earlier when it could have made a difference? But the disciples said, okay, we'll come with you. And so they went to Bethany. Bethany, we'll see in our text, was just outside the city of Jerusalem. We are in John chapter 11, very, very close to the time of Jesus' crucifixion. He comes to Bethany, and of course, everyone is mourning They are all sorrowing because Lazarus has died. He's now been dead for several days and his body is in the tomb. They've come from all around to comfort Mary and Martha in the death of their brother. And everyone is crying and sad and overwrought with grief. They tell Martha, the Lord is here and she comes and she cannot understand. Lord, why didn't you come sooner? Why are you here now? And... Jesus speaks to her, as we'll see in this passage, about the need for her to have faith. Mary is called and she comes, the one who sat at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And she fell before him. Again, she couldn't understand, why didn't you come sooner, Jesus? But of course, they couldn't understand what God was up to, what God was about to do. Then they take Jesus to the side to... Lazarus's tomb where people are gathered and as Jesus approaches they can see how much he loves Lazarus by the tears on his face as he's weeping and crying with all who are gathered there and then Jesus says something strange he says take the stone away what Jesus we don't do that he, he's been dead Now, for several days, if you take the stone off, you know that the Jewish people didn't embalm. And he'd been dead for several days, and and Martha was very blunt. She said, by now he stinks. It's, It's too late, Jesus. There's nothing to do. His body is decaying. If we roll the stone back, it's going to be offensive. This is not something that we should do. Jesus insisted. Roll the stone back. They rolled it back. And Jesus then addressed the Father in heaven. And he said something like this. I'm paraphrasing the prayer. He said, Father, I'm not saying this because you need to hear from me. But for all these people who are gathered around who don't believe, who don't know what's going on. You and I know what's going on. But Father, so that everybody knows, would you bring Lazarus forth from the dead? And then Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. What is he doing? 
Can you imagine being at a funeral where somebody does something like this? The discomfort that would come into the room as everybody's like, whoa, what is happening? And then, in that moment, Lazarus comes out of that tomb, wrapped in his grave clothes, and Jesus says, go, go let him loose. He's alive. He's been delivered from death. Now, this is a stunning miracle. In fact, the conclusion of this miracle is so stunning that the religious leaders decide we have got to get rid of Jesus now. We've got to kill him. We've got to be rid of him because he has way too much power. We cannot deal with him anymore. The people are going after him. But now right in the middle of this encounter, as Jesus first came to Bethany, as he was first approached by Martha, he makes this statement to Martha, which is the subject of our message today. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. Who is this Jesus? Well, let's look in our text in John chapter 11. Look in verse 18. We'll read down to verse 27, which is just a little bit of this encounter. And then we'll talk a little bit this morning about the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Verse 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Can I just, for one moment, point out Martha's faith? There, I mean, this woman, for all of her impetuousness and some of the criticism that we direct towards Martha, was a woman of great faith. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And then she went and called Mary, who came and spoke with Jesus as well. This morning, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, what did that mean? And what is the significance of this to us today? First of all, consider with me that resurrection matters because of the universal condemnation for sin. When Jesus came, it was told to Jesus that Lazarus was dead. And in Jesus' comment to Martha in verse 25, he said this, He that believeth in me... Though he were dead, yet shall he live. But I ask you the question this morning, what is death? What does the death mean? Most of us think of death and we have vivid memories or pictures in our mind. 
We've all been to more than one funeral, no doubt, where you approach a casket, and in the casket there's a body, and that body, if you touch the body, is cold, it's unresponsive. If you kiss the body, it seems empty, something's not right. If you talk to the body, the body is not going to respond to you. And the reason is because death is separation. Though that person's body is there in the casket, their soul and their spirit is gone. The shell that they lived in has been left behind, but there's no interaction between them and this world. They no longer feel pain. They no longer are able to converse with you. They no longer are going to eat a meal. They're not there anymore. Death. Death is a serious thing. It's a heavy subject. The reason that death exists is because of sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death, By sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You say, what is death? Death is separation. Death is when a person that we know and love is no longer here with us, and our hearts are pained by this. But death is more than just the absence of physical life. Because in the Bible, death is not only descriptive of the separation that takes place physically when a person departs this world and goes on into eternity and their body is left behind and there's a separation between us and them. But more powerfully and more importantly, death speaks about the state of separation between man and God. It speaks about the fact that our sins, our rebellion against God, have created a barrier between us and God so that we cannot go to Him. We cannot have fellowship with Him. We cannot have relationship with Him. The Bible describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Our condition is all of us, Naturally, we start out estranged from God. We start out with a bent towards sin, and as soon as we have the ability to decide what we want, we run to sin. We want that sin like nothing else. We would rather have that sin than relationship with God, and because of that, there is a barrier between us and God. The death that most of us think about when we hear the word death is physical death, and that is a natural consequence of living in a sin-cursed world and having a body that has been touched by the curse of sin. But what is much more important to consider this morning is that there is a second death. There is a separation from God, which is very, very serious. And it is universal. All of us have sinned against God. And unless we have obeyed the gospel and acted on God's offer for forgiveness, we are in the place of being condemned by God. 
And our just condemnation means that we will face the second death. That when we cross the veil from this life into eternity, what waits for us in the beyond is not everlasting life. It's not presence with God. It's not freedom from pain and difficulty. It is eternal condemnation because of our sin. This is the universal condemnation that exists for man's sin. And because of this, resurrection matters. You say, why does it matter that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life? Because if Jesus was not the resurrection and the life, we would have no hope. We would have absolutely no recourse in this. We would be justly condemned by our sin and we would face the certainty of both physical and spiritual death. Resurrection matters because of the universal condemnation for sin. But second of all, understand this, resurrection matters because of the inability of man to solve the problem of death. Man cannot overcome death. You think about it with me for just a moment. Men, humankind, spends millions of dollars and countless energy trying to overcome death and extend man's life. Medical technology this morning will never guarantee you deathless existence. It is never going to happen. You say, but come on, we're so educated and science is so powerful and men are finding solutions all the time. It is never going to happen. Men will never be able to totally free us from death. This is not in the domain of man. There is no medical technology which will ever be discovered that could extend a man's life even one second past the line that God has drawn. When God says it's up, it's up. That's it. No amount of... Physical exercise or taking vitamins and supplements is going to help you to cheat death or to escape this day. I mean, I'm not discouraging you from taking care of the body that God has given you, but you do understand that God has already set the date. God has already set the time. That's when your day of reckoning is going to be. You can take all the vitamin C that you want. And it's not going to help you to live any longer than what God said you're going to live. It might improve your quality of life before you die, but it's not going to make you live longer than what God has given to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no religion of man that can guarantee you some kind of special access to eternal life. Come to our church and give an offering. Come and be a member. Get baptized and that's going to give you access to eternal life that no one else can find. You'll never die. You'll live forever. Total deliverance from death. It's not going to happen. There's no religion that can make that promise. Do you understand this morning that resurrection matters because of the inability of man to solve death? Despite the best efforts of men, death cannot be overcome Because death is the just sentence of God upon sinful mankind. It's just how it is. Now, I don't know about you. Funerals 
are not always an exciting time. Even when you know that the one who has died is with the Lord and you have a measure of rejoicing, there still is a great deal of sorrow because you miss that person. You love them. It pains you to realize that they're gone. This is amplified when you have a a good, uh, a bad inkling, not a good inkling. Uh, you, You have this idea that this person didn't know the Lord, that they never were right with God. And as you stand at their casket, you realize, wow, this is it. There's no more chances. There's no more coming back. There's no more mercy. Resurrection matters because of the inability of man to solve death. Now, here in our passage in John chapter 11, there was a sense even among the disciples that Jesus could do something up to the point of death. You know, they were all under this impression that if Jesus would just get there before Lazarus died, then he could really do something. In fact, they had seen his power. They'd seen his miracles being done. They knew that he could heal people. And they had this idea, if we could just get there in time before Lazarus dies, then Jesus could really do something. But then when they got there and Lazarus was dead, the disciples were like, well, that's it. There's nothing else that can be done. There's just, there's nothing that that even Jesus could do in this situation. And, And this is a natural conclusion Because the disciples were still coming to grips with what it meant that Jesus is God. They were still wrestling with this whole idea. If he's God, then what is he able to do? Well, really, he could do anything because he's God. And in theory, they know that. But it seems so hopeless when you come to a grave and the person is dead and has been dead for several days. And you realize, wow. All right, there's just no hope. No hope. There have been occasions when I've been asked to pray for someone who died. I, as, as kindly as I can, my answer is, I can't pray for someone who's died. There is nothing that prayer can do for that person. They're already, they made their decision. They've already passed the day of opportunity for mercy There's no bringing them back. There's not going to be any more opportunities for them to hear the gospel. At that time, the only ones that we can pray for are the ones who are left who are still living. Our prayers are not not going to help the person who's already gone. But you do understand that Jesus is different than us. See, he has a different perspective. So as far as the disciples are concerned at this point, there's just nothing that can be done. And and I'm emphasizing this point because I want you to understand that as serious as physical death is, and it is serious, and we know from the scriptures that death is something and the fear of death is something that Satan uses to keep people in bondage for their whole life. So we know that death is serious, But as serious as physical death is, it reminds us of the hopeless condition of a man and his complete inability to reconcile himself to God. Because I remind you of what the scriptures say in Ephesians 2 and 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in sins. 
before you met Christ, you were dead in sins. And there was nothing that you could do to fix your problem. There was no amount of church attendance or giving offerings or getting baptized or being religious or a good neighbor that was going to solve your problem, the problem that you had between you and God. That required dramatic intervention of the divine sort. Not something that you can solve yourself. Because as serious as physical death is, spiritual death is far more serious. Spiritual death is indeed something to fear. And it is something to flee from. So resurrection matters because of the universal condemnation for sin. Resurrection matters because of the inability of man to solve death. But third of all, resurrection matters because Jesus is able to raise man to life. Jesus is able. Now you understand that even Martha, with her halting faith in what she said, I don't think she suspected that Jesus was actually going to raise her brother from the dead. She, she's offering that she believes he could, but I don't think he can. I don't know that he would. Oh, how would you even deal with that? You see, but Jesus is able because he is the giver of life. He's the creator and the sustainer. And as he says here in this passage to Martha when he spoke to her, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is able. Now, notice that Jesus highlights his ability dramatically by raising Lazarus physically from the dead. So this is a dramatic miracle. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is not something that we should expect to be replicated at the graveside of anyone today. We don't go to gravesides and pray that the people who are dead will get up out of the grave and live. We realize, okay, they're gone. They're in the presence of the Lord. Incidentally, if that person is with the Lord, they're not really interested in coming back anyway. Because they have entered a new understanding of reality that that we are still, to us, it's still very fuzzy. It's still, I mean, the Bible talks about it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Still, we, we, we see through that glass, but it's a little bit dark. But one day we'll see him face to face. And, and your loved ones who are with the Lord, who you have confidence that they knew the Lord and they're with the Lord, they're not really interested in coming back here, you see, because they're with the Lord. So we don't go to gravesides and pray that people will come back out of the grave. We don't pray that, that they'll come back to life because we don't expect that to happen. But Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, in this particular occasion is highlighting his divine power. And it is noteworthy that Jesus did not regularly go around raising people from the dead. There were plenty of people in graves. This is a very unique miracle, a very special occasion. It has a special purpose. There's an intent behind it. Ultimately, Jesus is demonstrating who he is so that people will believe upon him. But he comes to the grave of Lazarus And quite dramatically, when he calls Lazarus to come forth, 
everyone there is stunned because they realize, all right, we knew there was something different about Jesus, but there is something really different about Jesus. He is not just a prophet. He is not just someone who can do some miracles. This is incredible. Now that, and it is stunning, the the physical miracle that was seen of Lazarus coming forth from the grave is amazing. But that's actually not the focus of the passage. You see, the focus of the passage is not on Jesus' ability to restore physical life or to give health where someone has been sick, although he is able to do all of those things. The emphasis of the passage is on the greater truth that Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, like he was able to give physical life to a man who had been dead and buried for days, is able to give spiritual life to people who are dead and hopeless estranged from God with no remedy for their sin. He is able to bring them to life and give them life that is not just temporary, but that lasts forever. Something maybe you haven't thought about, or maybe you have, and I'll just remind you about it. You know that Lazarus did die. Even though he was raised from the dead... There came a point later in his life when he died. So he's not still alive walking around today, physically. That would be weird. So he still faced physical death. This was a sign that was a temporary sign to draw attention to the greater message that Jesus has power to give spiritual life. Because in the grand scheme of it all, what really matters is not physical life. What really matters is spiritual life. There are many people who are walking, breathing, healthy, strong, and fit, estranged from God, spiritually dead. And you can look at them and say, wow, they're blessed. Their life is so good. Look how robust they are. Their health is is incredible. They're going to live a long time. But apart from God... Their life is just a blip on the radar of human history. And then when their life ends, they go out into eternal condemnation. What is more important is that God can grant eternal life so that as he spoke to Martha in verse 25, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Clearly, Jesus is not speaking about physical death. Clearly, Jesus is speaking about spiritual death. And here's the truth, is that once you receive life from Jesus, you will never lose that life. Though you may face physical death you will experience eternal life. This is the promise of Jesus. This is the assurance of Jesus. And he sealed this promise with the demonstration of his power by calling Lazarus forth out of the grave. A short time later, Jesus would even more dramatically demonstrate his power by raising from the dead himself after he was put to death. And you do understand today that really every man is going to face death. 
the only man who did not deserve to face death was Jesus. And Jesus willingly took death himself and suffered that death so that he could atone for our sins. Physical death is a reality, but what's more significant is spiritually, are you alive or dead? Now stop for just one second and give me your attention and think about that question. Are you spiritually alive or dead? Obviously, all of you who are here today are physically alive. Some are here this morning and you are enjoying your life. You are living for the pleasures of this world, for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And you, you say, I don't want to give up my life because I'm enjoying it too much. I'm, I'm having such a good time. Oh, but friend, are you physically alive and spiritually dead? Because if that is the case, do you understand how perilous your condition is? Do you understand that in just a moment, just like that, your life could be over? No more chances. No more opportunity to be reconciled to God. No more mercy. No more forgiveness. In that moment, it's appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Are you so confident in your physical life and vitality that you'll take your chances with all eternity? With being spiritually dead. I'm saying don't play games with God. It is much, much more important to deal with this issue of spiritual life. To come to Jesus for forgiveness and receive the life that he gives. You say, but I don't want to give up my life. I want to live the way I want to live. Oh, that's quite a gamble, friend. Oh, that's quite a gamble. And you will lose that bet. You will. Because if you think you're going to cheat death, that you're somehow going to escape the judgment of God, it's not going to happen, my friend. There's only one escape. That's through Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. I implore you today to come to him. But now many of us who are here this morning, and many of you are saying amen because you understand the implication of this and how important it is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And many of you have obeyed the gospel and you say, I have that assurance that if I were to die right now, I would be in the presence of the Lord. Not because of my righteousness, but because of Jesus. Because my faith and confidence is in Him. And I hope that's your testimony this morning. But understand that Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life, does not just have to do with out there somewhere when we die on past that, the resurrection of the dead, when God calls our bodies out of the graves, and we won't get into all that that means and all that that represents. You know, when a person dies, the scripture says, their body is left here, their soul and their spirit go to the presence of the Lord. They are with the Lord, but their body is here. And, and God says, you know, if they're a saint, they're going to be raised from the dead. Their bodies are going to be brought back to life. And And one day God is going to give us a new body. Praise God for that. But see, this promise of the resurrection and the life isn't just for way out there in the future sometime. Because I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. It was the heartbeat 
of his ministry and of his personal walk with God. And this is what he said. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What Paul wanted while he was alive was to experience resurrection power in his daily life. Do you understand that the resurrection is not something that we wait for one day? But the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the same power that is evidenced in John chapter 11 and that is evidenced in Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, that power is what God wants us to tap into every day of our life. He wants us to live in light of the resurrection. Resurrection matters because Jesus is able to raise man to life. We all should be done with this powerless idea of Christianity that exists so broadly today, that a person can be a follower of Jesus Christ and on their way to heaven, but it will make no impact on their earthly life. This is not what the scripture says, and this is not what we ought to expect. We ought to expect that when a person comes into relationship with God, when they meet the one who is the resurrection and the life, their life is going to be touched by the power of his resurrection. In other words, you'll never be the same. Your life will be turned completely upside down. And that's what we ought to desire. That's what we ought to want. Resurrection matters because Jesus is able to raise man to life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oddly... Though in this passage Jesus proved himself to be God and to have power over death, the miracle that was performed in John 11 was the final straw that broke the camel's back in regard to the religious leaders. In verse number 53, it says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. All right, now stop for one second. You've got a guy who can call people back to life from the dead and you're going to scheme to put him to death. At what point do these guys not think, we're not thinking very clearly right now. This isn't making a lot of sense. But you know what? That is true of all of us. When we determine not to yield ourselves to God to live our own way, to do our own thing, we are not thinking clearly. We are choosing death over life. We are turning away from the way of God and going into the way of destruction. These religious leaders willfully turned away from Jesus Christ. They became determined in their quest to terminate Jesus, to get rid of him. They thought this was the only thing that we can do is to take his life. It was an insane and illogical reaction, doesn't make any sense at all, but this is often the response of man to the exclusive claims of Jesus. Many people today, when they hear Jesus is the resurrection and the life, say, well, that's nice for you, but I'm going to find some other way. There is no other way. There is no other means. There there is no other life. There is no other deliverance from death and from the condemnation of sin. It's Jesus. That's it. If you don't come by way of Jesus, you don't come at all. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
my question for you that I asked just a few moments ago. Are you spiritually dead or spiritually alive? Have you experienced resurrection power in your life? Do you know that you know that you know that if today your physical life was ended and you were in the presence of God, do you know that you would be accepted because of what Jesus has done and your faith in him? Or are you just hoping that it's going to work out? Are you just wishing that somehow you'll be accepted by God? Are you, are you, are you just putting it out of your mind and saying, well, that day's a long ways off. That, that's not going to happen to me. Couldn't, couldn't possibly be that soon. I've got time to work this out. No, my friend. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And today, if you are recognizing who he is and your responsibility to the gospel, today is the day to obey the gospel. Today is the day to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Now again, many of you are saved and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But my question for you is this. Are you living every day in light of the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you get up in the morning and say, first of all, thank you, God, for life? I'm still breathing, moving. It may be questionable a couple of times, but I'm still breathing, moving. I'm still alive. Thank you, Lord, for life. But then more importantly, do you say, thank you, God, for spiritual life? Thank you for your presence in my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me. I want to walk in your will. I want to walk in your way. I want to be in your presence. I want to be doing your will today. Do you live like that? Because that's what it means that he is the resurrection and the life. He wants to be real to us. 